The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... Since having type 1 and celiac and all the above, it's made me realize, you know, you can still help your friends, but you also have to, like, focus on yourself more because your mental health, your physical health, your type 1 diabetes health is more important. It's the it's the top of the list. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. As always, it is a pleasure to have you back each and every week. And this week, I was chatting with Bella Bucciotti. And Bella is from Vancouver in Canada and has been living with type 1 diabetes since the age of 19. So she was diagnosed the exact same age as me. So she is a storyteller, a food lover, a dog mom, as she says herself, and an adventure seeker living in the Pacific Coast. Bella is the creator of XOXO Bella, where she shares her passion for food, dogs, fitness, adventure, travel, and philanthropy in the hopes of encouraging her followers to run the extra mile, try new recipes, visit unfamiliar places, and stand for a cause. Her blog is unbelievable. We talk about it a good bit in this episode. If you haven't checked it out, make sure you do. But throughout this episode, it's very clear that Bella has a solid grasp of her diabetes and it doesn't stop her from doing the things that she wants to do in her life. And throughout this episode, she offers some exceptional advice for diabetics of all ages around training, nutrition, mindset, so that you too can find enjoyment, as she says herself, in the way you live with the condition. So please enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it, and I'll chat to you soon. So obviously something we uh, have in common right now, Bella, is the fact that we enjoy putting ourselves into cold water for, for, for strange reasons. But what, what kind of initially drew you towards cold water plunging? I thought it would be good for my mental health. Um, the first week I was like, this is not helping my mental health whatsoever. This is just crazy. 
it took probably about two weeks for me to get like fully used to it and be like, okay, this is actually good. This is actually working. And I feel like now it's something I look forward to every day. Like every day I wake up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go work out, do my cold plunge. And then my day is like started. And it's like, if I don't dunk my head, I didn't do it properly. I have to dunk my head. I feel like the only way you're getting the benefits is if you're dunking your head. Absolutely. And it's always like, I always feel my head is the coldest part. So when you put it down, it's like, (laughs) that's when you really feel it. If it was a kind of two week process for you to start enjoying it or start seeing the benefits of it, did you consider within the first two weeks of stopping doing it? Like what kind of made you keep doing it? I, for the first two weeks, I had a friend, like a different friend come with me every day. So to keep me accountable to do it. So now that I'm just doing them alone, like all my friends are like, okay, we've all done one with you. Now you keep going. So like that really got me to keep going that all my friends at least did one with me or two. And then they kind of just like, let me continue doing them. I don't think if I had like support to do them, I would have just stopped. (laughs) I suppose initially that external accountability always helps doing something like that, particularly when it's like something that is incredibly uncomfortable to do initially. But what sort of benefits are you noticing? Because you said kind of two weeks you started seeing the benefits. I'm sleeping a lot better. Like every time I get out of the water, you can just like see the smile on my face about like how happy it makes me feel. It's just like, it's such a sensation to like get out of the cold water and just like feel so intensely happy. Um, I think it's just improving my overall mood. Um, those are the three I've noticed. Other people says it does magical things for you, but clearly it just does those for me. Um, I get lots of comments sometimes that are like, Oh, has it cured your type one diabetes? I'm like, no, not yet. Keep not going yet. in. Maybe. I'll keep going in. <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> So for anybody who doesn't know, Bella, how many days now in a row have you done? Uh, 53 days, and I'm going to probably continue for 100 days and then see there if I'm going to continue to do even more. (laughs) Do you think you'll get to a stage where it's just part of your routine, like, like taking your insulin? Probably, but I feel like in the summer you can't call it cold dipping anymore. It's more like just swimming, so... I would imagine in Canada and where you are, it's quite cold to do a cold plunge. Even just briefly describe or explain where you are on the planet so people can kind of (laughs) put it into perspective. I live at the very end of North Vancouver Island. I live in a small town called Port Hardy. It's like a commercial fishing town. It's really cute and if you love the outdoors it's definitely a place for you there's so much untouched nature there and it's just like super beautiful um it's not as cold as the east coast but our warmest in the summer is probably 22 degrees and in the winter we sit at like negative three to like five degrees so it's it's kind of cold but not that cold (laughs) So do you feel as if you started doing your cold plunges at a good time of year? I've been doing them for 53 days and I've only had one sunny day in 53 days. So it's <laughs> okay. how rainy it is there. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. So it was a, a tricky part to start or a tricky time of year to start, essentially. Yes. Yeah, especially when people are like, oh, it rains all the time in Port Hardy. And I'm like, oh, well, let me look at, oh, yeah, I, for the last 53 days, it's rained. 
<laughs> so where's what's the coldest water that you've ever been in? Uh, a river actually near my parents' house was probably about zero, but it was like flowing from a waterfall. So it didn't like freeze, but it was so cold. My whole body was like red when I came out and my dad had to like help me back to the car because I was just so cold. But I oh went my. back the following week and I didn't find it that cold. It was just like the initial shock of like trying it out for the first time. And then the following week, I didn't find it cold. I just found it like really relaxing <laughs> and I stayed in for like four minutes. No way. So do you feel like did the water temperature at all change or was it just your ability to deal with the cold and the temperature? I think my ability to deal with the cold, I like I bring a thermometer with me and I always check the water temperature before I go in and it's the same temperature, just like the ocean. The ocean like fluctuates from like five degrees to 10 degrees. So it's not like it's ever that changed so much. So I feel like I'm really used to the ocean. Now I'm getting really used to rivers. So now I feel like I need colder. <laughs> Are you, is it becoming like a bit of a drug or something? <laughs> or something yeah, for you? kind of. <laughs> I remember when I started doing it, like initially, now you're obviously doing it in much colder water than I do consistently. But when I started doing it, even just going into the Irish Sea, which is cold, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not excessively cold. And I used to always get like this kind of nervous feeling before going in of like this kind of nervous apprehension around it like did you or do you get that feeling still I don't really get nervous it's just like especially when it's low tide I hate that I have to walk so far out to go into the water (laughs) so it's just like a dread it's more like a dread that you're like I could be done my cold dip by now if it was high tide but like here I am continuing walking so that's why I've really been liking lakes and rivers lately because you just jump in you sit in there and then you get out like unless I plan to go at high tide but high tide lately has been like right at dark and then i can't film it if you don't film it how do you know if you did it people won't if you don't you. film it if if other people can't see then you didn't do it that's the rule that's the rule you need proof. <laughs> yeah, exactly you mentioned bella that you kind of have already noticed even an impact positively on your mental health as a result of doing it is it something that you feel the benefit more of on a day where you might be in worse mood or, or lower mood. Oh yeah. Like when I do feel in a lower mood and I've already done my cool dip, I'll just like have a more relaxing day and then I'll go back and do another one because sometimes if I like feel like I'm in a bad mood, I'll like either run or I'll just go do another cold dip lately. And it's been making me feel like so much better. Cause like maybe I didn't stay in long enough the first time. And I think like the two shocks of going in twice is just like, making me feel quite good <laughs> yeah it's a fascinating sort of process and it's almost like and we were chatting briefly even obviously before we press record but it's like uh, it's like a rebirth when you come out of the water you know oh, it's yeah. so weird um but one of my things that i try to do or even have done in the past like if i'm in a bad mood or low mood or annoyed or whatever it is one of my instinctive reactions is almost to just like go outside and go for a run or go for a walk which can help but sometimes when you're about to go for a run and you see your blood sugar isn't isn't in a good place to go for the run it's not ideal but me and you were obviously diagnosed well I was diagnosed at 19 you were 
diagnosed at 19 also. And I'm always fascinated, Bella, to understand or kind of get a bit of an insight into other people's perspective around their condition and how it came about and ultimately how they dealt with it. So mm-hmm. going back to 19-year-old Bella, how was your diagnosis? Um, I The first week, I was just really thirsty. And to be fair, it was the summer. So I was like drinking milk jugs and milk jugs of water. And I was like, why am I so thirsty? And I brought it up to my mom. And I was like, my mom's like, you're fine. It's just summer. You're dehydrated whatever moved on next week I started losing feeling in my leg and it was like really numb and I was like huh that's really weird and then I was like hmm I probably just slept on it wrong whatever you know just kind of like ignored everything because like no one in my family has type 1 diabetes and I didn't really know anyone with type 1 so there was that and then the week after I started getting really blurry vision and I was like, oh, I wear glasses. I'll just, I need a new prescription. That's all it is. And then, <laughs> and then a week after, I needed to go to the walk-in clinic to get um, some medicine. So I was, like, asking him and, like, t- uh, telling the doctor all my symptoms. And he was like, hmm, I'm going to check your blood sugar just to, just to be safe. And I was like, okay. And then he checked it. And I was at, like, 52.9. And, like, I was in DKA. And he was like, you need to go to the hospital. <laughs> and I had type 1 diabetes. <laughs> what, just to cut in, 52.9, like, millimoles? Yes. As a, oh, whoa, that is extremely high. Mine was 36. And they told me I was, like, less than 48 hours away from a coma. 52. Yeah, I was really high. I was high, so high. I didn't even had like breakfast or anything. I was so dizzy. I felt so sick. It was crazy. They brought me down right away though, which was great. And then uh, I got, I think I was only on like injections for like two weeks. And then I went on an insulin pump right away, which I found uh-huh. extremely helpful. I don't think I could do needles ever again. I I love my insulin pump. I just don't like the hassle. I just like that it's like attached to me. I can just type it in and then I get my insulin and then there's that. I don't have to like screw on a needle, you know, stab myself. (laughs) It's just so much extra work and like... I don't, I feel like I don't really need that much insulin. Like I'm still pretty like low on like my insulin level. So I feel like with a pump, I can just get like 0.05 units, which like with a pen you can't really do. So. Mm. Yeah. It's funny because I obviously speak to loads of diabetics at this stage quite consistently. And some people are like, can't ever imagine having a pump. And then others are saying, cannot ever ever imagine using insulin pens again and it's funny because it's it's such a it's such a contrast between the two but ultimately like the the goal is the same with both oh um, yeah and whatever suits you best is is obviously best you know like, oh, i would come out i come at, come at it from a place of i don't want to pump because well part of the reason because it's attached to me all the time whereas you want to pump because it's attached to you all the time which is which is interesting how did you bella manage it all or process it all like mentally and emotionally at that age i thought it was really hard i didn't realize you know why a healthy person would have gotten it but you know i get it it happens and i never really had like a 
like a bad mental state about it. I was always like, okay, I can do this. I got this. And, you know, as soon as I like posted online, people were so nice to me. Like people reached out and they gave me so many tips and they're like, if you need me, you can call me, I'll help you. Like everyone wanted to help, which was really nice because I felt like I already had support in that way. And like now my like type one community on my blog and on Instagram and stuff has grown so much that feels like it's a small like family that you have that like will help you anytime you need it. And I know no one's blood sugars are ever the same, but it's just nice to have someone to talk to when you're like, this is just so stupid, but you're like, you can't (laughs) do anything, but it's like, here you go. You can talk to someone who's probably also dealt with that situation. I've always had a pretty good mindset about it because, you know, it's a 24-hour job and you can't take a break. So I'm just going to continue doing my job and do it really well. <laughs> Why do you think you had that sort of outlook on it so early on? I didn't feel like it was that big of a problem. I was like, Meh. another organ gone. What What can you do? Whatever, whatever. Just move, <laughs> move along. <laughs> didn't need it anyways. I'm a pretty positive person, so I just felt like, you know, why be downer if I'm going to have it for most of my life? Just deal with it and be happy about it. I went on a trip like a couple months after, and then I had one of my first lows, and that was really scary, but that's probably the only time I was like, ooh, this is really hard. This is really hard, but like afterwards, you're like, ah, you can just eat more candy and get over it. It's fine. One of the things that I actually read it on your blog post before we did this podcast, and one of the quotes from you said, listen, I'm going to be living with this for the rest of my life, so I might as well have some fun, which oh, I absolutely love because it's like, well, yeah, I'm understanding the severity of it, but I'm also realizing the fact that I can't do anything about it. So if I can somehow make it somewhat enjoyable, it's only going to be a benefit. So, oh, yeah. How do you make it fun? (laughs) I don't let it stop me from doing the things I love doing. And that's for sure. I always am like, I've always been the person that's always super prepared for anything. So like now, like when I go on my hikes, especially I'll bring more sugar than I actually possibly need. I'll bring extra, extra sites. I bring an insulin pen just in case you never know what could happen. I bring everything you could possibly need for, you know, maybe two weeks, but I bring it for one day. Cause you never know what could happen. I'm always a very super prepared person. So I feel like it's, it's made me even more prepared. And like, I don't know, I feel like when people message me saying, you know, they're too scared to go on hikes, I'm like, pack extra sugar, you'll be all right. You can't let it stop you from doing things. Like, you can't be like, oh, all my friends are going to go do this, but I can't do it because I have diabetes. I'm like, yes, you can. You just need a plan. As long as you have a plan in place, you're good. You're good to go. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. And it's one of those things that, yes, it can make certain scenarios slightly more complex but as you say if you if you have extra supplies you're planned for it in advance you're going to be fine something you said to us bella was that your defining moment with the condition was i think the phrase that you used was learning how to do life and not let type 1 diabetes stop you from doing the things that you want to do was that like a a learning process for you or was it something that you realized or, or understood or kind of got a grip of quite soon? 
I felt like when I first got diagnosed that it would stop me from doing lots of things. Like I love being in the outdoors and I love, you know, doing lots of crazy stuff. And I felt like it was just a mindset I had to put in my head. Like I can still do this. Why, why am I letting insulin stop me? Like it was just like this like mindset that I was like, okay, you can still do that. Why wouldn't you do it? And I felt like, you know, even talking to other type one diabetics are like, why wouldn't you go do that? And I was like, yeah, why wouldn't I go do that? Like, why, like you, I feel like when you first get diagnosed, you kind of overthink everything. Like, can you eat that? How many carbs is that? And now you're kind of just like, okay, that's 10 carbs. You got this, 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 and this, and you're fine and you're ready to go. But like, I think it's the initial shock. And then you have to be like, okay, I can still do everything I did before and eat everything I still ate before. Except I got celiac, so that kind of sucks. So I'm never going to eat a good cinnamon bun again, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was going to be my next few questions <laughs> leading up. As if, as if diabetes wasn't bad enough by itself, to say the least. So with all of that, you know, that you're, you obviously are quite confident in your manage, management, Bella, around doing all these different things and eating different types of foods and going out for hikes and cold plunges and all the things that we can clearly see you do on your social media, which is amazing. Was all of this sort of like a trial and error sort of process for you to have that confidence to do these things? Oh, yeah. I like especially with like eating, especially when, you know, I got diabetes and then a couple weeks later I got celiac. So I feel like doing both celiac was harder. Huh. <laughs> I feel like type of diabetes was a piece of cake in the honeymoon phase compared to what's gluten free and why is there gluten in everything? Like why is there gluten in every single thing on the store? <laughs> like things you don't think there's gluten in, there's gluten in there. So you watch out. So I felt like that whole thing was really hard, but I think the like initial like counting carbs was kind of like a bit hard to get a hold of, but now I'm like super good at it and I feel confident in it. But I think again, like a whole mindset thing, like you can do anything. Mm. How did you know something was up in terms of the celiac disease? Um, they tested it for me when I got diagnosed because I think they said like 50% or 40% of type 1 diabetics are also celiac. So and It's a very, very high number. I think we're, we're obviously a lot more inclined to develop some other autoimmune disease as a result. Yeah. Why do you think it was much harder? You said diabetes was a piece of cake compared to... I love cooking and I loved... I love cinnamon buns and baked goods. So I find it really hot. Like I found it really hard. Now I'm really good at it, but I found it really hard in the beginning to find like good gluten-free food, like good gluten-free bread that doesn't taste like a stale piece of cardboard. Um, you know, <laughs> just like simple things that you're like, oh, like this should taste like bread, but it doesn't taste like bread at all. So I found it just hard to find like uh, like similarities, you know, like bread should taste like bread, but it doesn't taste like bread. It tastes like cardboard or like this granola bar should taste like, you know, a granola bar, but it tastes like sand. <laughs> <laughs> so it was more so the adjustment of trying to come to terms with changing the way you eat, given the fact that yeah. you're already, yeah. you've already been such a, a lover of food, basically. Oh yeah. Like I, 
I love cooking and like finding substitutions was like really hard, especially gluten-free flour, like gluten-free flour cooks differently in baking and cooks differently in like pastas and stuff. So like finding a good gluten-free flour was like so hard. I had to experiment like every gluten-free flour on the market to just like figure out which one I like best and which one works for a majority of like recipes. What does a, a typical day of food look like for you now with type 1 diabetes and celiac disease compared to the Bella before these two diagnoses? <laughs> um, for breakfast, I have a smoothie or I have hash browns and eggs. My favorite meal ever is probably breakfast food. Like I could eat breakfast food all day long. It's so good. Lunch, I usually have some sort of like rice bowl or salad. And then dinner, I'll have like fish or chicken or some sort of protein with like a salad and a starch. Like pretty simple. I snack on apples. Like my meals haven't changed too much. It's just like, you know, the sauces and the other stuff that you put on yummy things to make them taste good. Well, I think that that's something that I noticed going through your blog posts, specifically around all, all the unbelievable recipes that you do i felt as if my blood sugar was spiking purely just by looking at the photos so so i was like how is she navigating her blood sugar around all these different types of foods so if you were to offer some sort of advice or guidance to somebody who is living with type 1 diabetes and is also living with celiac is there any sort of practical advice or even advice in terms of mindset or perspective that you would share from your own experience? Don't be afraid to try things. I think people, when they get diagnosed, are like, I was scared. I was scared to like eat a cookie. Like, you know, don't be scared. I feel like you just have to, if you want to try something and see what it does to your blood sugar, you should try it and see what it does to it so that you know for the next time that you eat it that, yeah, I need more insulin next time. Or, oh, you know what? That maybe have had cross like a cross contamination of gluten i feel like you have to try things to even figure out if they work for you or not and don't be afraid to you might get a little sick with the whole gluten thing but like <laughs> if you're not afraid then just try it because it's always worth it in the end to figure out what you like the best and what works for you because it's not going to be the same for me and you and others like you can maybe eat Oreos and I can't like, you know, there's just different things. Was there an element of trial and error with your adjustment towards celiac similar to yeah. your adjustment with type one diabetes? Yeah. I thought I could eat out more, but I feel like cross contamination is just not, not good. And I learned the hard way that, you know, <laughs> okay. there's a little too much cross contamination in this world. <laughs> So if you want to go into further detail to give us some perspective, like how do you learn the hard way if there is this cross-contamination or you accidentally consume gluten? I mean, I am, this is so TMI, but if you actually <laughs> I knew it would be. If you accidentally eat gluten, please drink lots of water and have a modium on your table. Please do it for yourself. <laughs> You'll feel so much pain. <laughs> I feel like I'm not as bad though. Like I feel like I've only had celiac for like five years now. So like some cross contamination, like I'm like, okay, that didn't hurt that bad. I'm just a little bloated. But like if I legitimately have gluten in me, you won't see me for two days. I will be stuck in the bathroom and I will not be moving. You do not see me. I'm gone. I'm, I'm have disappeared in the world. 
No way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's like presume- food poisoning, but worse. <laughs> We'll leave it there in terms of the detail. I think <laughs> our imaginations can do the rest. Um, another post, Bella, that kind of stood out to me when I was going through your blog. By the way, there's just endless amounts on Bella's uh, blogs and, and posts. That if you haven't yet checked them out, please do. It's unbelievable. Um, but one of them that stood out to me was a blog post that you did specifically about celiac disease. And it was, I think it was entitled what I love about celiac disease. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me a bit more about that? I feel like now that I've had it so long, you have to learn what you love about it and not get some negative about it. So I wrote a whole blog post about it because I think some people still think celiac sucks, but you can make it great. It doesn't have to suck. Just like having diabetes, it doesn't have to suck. You can take a positive thing out of anything. Like even if you're going to go do a cold dip for the first time, just think about how warm your shower is going to be afterwards. <laughs> so how do you focus down on the positives with celiac? I feel like there's more more to life than bad food. And when you're celiac, you think everything tastes bad. So you just kind of have to take the positive out and be like, you know what? That sucks, but I think I can make it better. So that's kind of like my mindset about it. You just got like... If it didn't taste good, I can make it better. And it's like my goal. So like I really love like gnocchi and like pasta. And I was like, ooh, why do all these pastas taste so bad? So I just made my own and it was great. And it was so much better. And now I don't buy box pasta anymore because I just make it myself. And it's so much better. (laughs) You strike me, Bella, as somebody who has, uh, like we've been speaking already for quite a short time, but... I get the impression that you have a good ability to focus on the positive side of things. Was that like, uh, do you feel as if that is almost an innate thing or an instinctive thing for you? Or did it almost come to the surface more or did it come about more because of your type 1 diabetes and your celiac? I feel like I wasn't ever like this positive, but now, you know, Like I got type one diabetes a week later, I got celiac a week after that, they removed my gallbladder, you know, like just like there was so many things and I was like, okay, all of this sucks and it shouldn't suck. I should just take, I have one less organ. There you go. No gallbladder. Who needs it? Like whatever, who cares? Like the positive note. Okay. I can't have gluten anymore. Gluten sucks. Whatever. Who cares about cinnamon buns? Like pancreas who cares whatever just move on like i feel like you can't this day and age with everything going on and like mental health and stuff you can't have a negative factor in your life and especially me i work from home and i'm a big extrovert so i'm definitely a type of person that's like i need everyone to be positive so that i can be super positive and i just really love the energy it gives like i don't like people who are down and like Hmm. Life is hard. Life can be easy. You just have to make it easy. Which I'm fascinated by because I want life to be to be easy as much as possible. So do you have like a, a step-by-step process or even a way of thinking where on days where maybe you're not as positive as you would like to be initially, but that kind of ramps you up to that sort of positivity level that you want to be at. That was part one of this episode. 
If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list. 